Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of Crazy Money. This is your host, Paul Ollinger, but you were aware of that, weren't you? Yeah, you did. Hey, it's a great day to be alive. It's a gorgeous day in Atlanta, Georgia. It's sunny, a little breezy, a little chilly. It's not that great, actually, but it's, you know, I'm choosing to call it good. I, not that I've been outside today, but anyway... Hope it's a good day where you are, and if it's not a good day, I hope it gets better. I hope you choose to see it as pretty damn good. I've got a very interesting conversation to share with you today. It's a conversation with my wife about talking about money. Yes, we're talking about talking about money and how difficult that can be, even when your life is blessed a gazillion times over. But before we get to that conversation, I want to say thank you to my good friends at Xander. That's X-A-N-D-R, and they are the Advertising and Analytics Division of AT&T. And I'm saying thank you because on Thursday, I'll be closing out their Xander Connect Conference at Ponce City Market in Atlanta, Georgia. And I'm looking forward to being with all of you, all you data people, all you advertising people, all you content marketing people who will be there. Later that night, I'll be closing out a private comedy show at Druid Hills Golf Club not that far from Pond City Market. When it comes to geographic batching of my events, this worked out quite well. So yeah, thanks to the folks at Druid Hills Golf Club where I'll be. And that reminds me to remind you or to inform you that if you've got an event coming up that you'd like hosted, be it corporate or private, if you've got a holiday party that you need to inject with a little bit of levity, why don't you do me a favor, send me an email at paul at crazymoneypodcast.com. I am producing private comedy shows at swim clubs, at country clubs, and at corporations all over this fair country. So shoot me a note, paul at crazymoneypodcast.com. All right. Can we go ahead and admit that talking about money inside of a relationship is difficult? Compounded by the fact that the last person in the world you want to piss off is the only person on the planet you're allowed to have sex with legally uh, until one of you dies. All right, so these are some compounding variables that make the discussion of money very, very difficult in a relationship. Even if you empirically know that it's in your best interest to maintain a good relationship in the long run, right? Like talking about money inside of a marriage or behaving around money with a long-term attitude is like the most important game of prisoner's dilemma that you'll ever play. And so... I'm sharing this conversation that my wife and I had, hopefully to your benefit uh, and at times entertainment, to discuss what it's like to live with me and share budgeting responsibilities with somebody like me. Now, why'd we do this? Well, my wife, first of all, is not, as my friend Jonathan Pearl legendarily coined me, an attention-starved maniac. So she's not doing this for selfish purposes. I think she's doing because she thinks it's interesting, as do I. Also, you know, I grew up watching my parents be stressed about money, or I perceived them to be stressed about money. And so I thought in my head, hey, if I make a little bit of money, then I won't be stressed. Or if I make a lot of money, I really won't be stressed. Well, I did pretty well. And guess what? There's still stress in our house around money. Now, here's where I acknowledge that the things that we trade off the compromises that we make are first world compromises, like first, first, first world compromises, right? Talking about like how to vacation, that's a pretty big uh, first world problem right there, okay? So let me just acknowledge that up front. But these things are still stressful. They still lead to fights. 
The reason they do is because when you're talking about money in a relationship, you're talking about values and background and fears and the place where you came from emotionally and financially into this marriage. You know, all these premarital variables manifest when the topic of money comes up. And so it gets weird in every relationship. And the reason we're sharing this is because one, I think it's super interesting. And two, I think everybody fights about money and maybe hearing this will make you feel just slightly better about how you communicate with your spouse or partner, lover, whatever you want to call them or her or they, how you communicate with them in your life. And if you can be a little bit better in that situation, then hey, it's worth your time. All right. By the way, I think Bill Gates and Melinda Gates fight about money. That's my theory. I believe on some level, with many, many zeros after it, they still have competing priorities that they don't always agree on. And it might be like, instead of where should we go on vacation, it's like, should we cure malaria or polio? Which one's more important? And they fight about that kind of stuff. But on some level, that's a fight about money. Crazy to think, right? All right, well... If this gets weird, by the way, for you, listening to me and Stacy talk about what's going on in our lives, if we're a little too vulnerable, which, by the way, vulnerable scares me. I don't love vulnerable. I like an arm's length. I like that. But if this gets a little too weird, feel free to go back and listen to another episode. That Hoga guy last week was amazing. Seringus Deaton was amazing. Lori Santos was amazing. Go listen to them. But hopefully you'll think this is great. This is me and my wife, Stacy, talking about money. What's your biggest financial fear? Well, here's the best thing about being married to Paul Ollinger is mm. I don't really have one. You have them all. <laughs> I, I, I worry for both of us. Yes. My name is Paul Ollinger. I'm a stand-up comedian with a background in the corporate world. I hit the lottery when I worked at a small company called Facebook. I'm fascinated with money, why we're so obsessed with it, and how it makes us happy or not. Welcome to Crazy Money. Do you think the dogs are going to start snoring during this interview? I don't know, but they're a key part of life in the Ollinger household. Hmm. How are we defining key? We love them. All right. Stacy Ollinger, welcome to your basement. Thank you so much. I love our basement. It's nice, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Of all the rooms in the house, which one do you feel like gives us the biggest bang for the buck? Where do you feel the happiest in the house? It is not the basement. The main room with the fireplace right off the kitchen. Why do you feel that way? Well, we celebrate holidays in there. Yes. So there's lots of memories. The fireplace is the best aesthetic. And it's just a cozy, well-decorated. I like the painting, the Mark Boomershine of home in there. Mm-hmm. That room is just us. So that's where you get your huga on? We get our huga on there together. If you don't know what Hoga is, then you should listen to last week's episode with Mike Viking of the Happiness Research Institute. Okay, so Stacy and I are here today. We're going to talk about talking about money as a married couple. Try not to breathe into the, into the mic with your nose like that. I do it a lot. We're going to talk about talking about money as a married couple, and then we're going to have a little bit of a conversation about our own situation and just sort of see what we can uh, see what see what happens here. So in what ways do we spend money that create the most happiness, in your opinion? Certainly experiences with the kids, by ourselves, with family, friends. 
it took us a while to get to what those experiences are and what we should be spending on them. But I definitely think throughout the course of our relationship, that's been the most important way to spend. What experiences have you enjoyed the most? Jamaica for your birthday. You know, we always talk about Panama. A little off the beaten path, I think, works for us. We took mom and dad and the kids, and that was really, really memorable. And it was a trip that didn't start off going our way with the weather and such, but it ended up being one of the best we've had. And then you could also talk about the guest ranches that works mostly for me, my parents, and the kids. Because you all like to ride horses, and I really don't give a shit about horses. Correct. I grew up in that industry riding horses, and it's important for me that the kids love horses. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't mean they need to be showing or anything. Right. I grew up riding a bicycle. (laughs) (laughs) I want to make sure the kids appreciate the value of a Schwinn Stingray with a banana seat. Yes. That's pretty important to me. I had the purple one with the flowers, Mm -hmm. as you know, and the fluorescent flag. And to make friends, my dad made me ride up and down the street until I came home and said I had a new friend. You're an only child, correct? Yes. Where'd you grow up? I was born in Texas. I grew up in Colorado. And then... I spent a year in California, and then we moved to Arizona. Where in Arizona? Scottsdale. You're from Scottsdale? (laughs) (laughs) Really? (laughs) Okay. All right. So travel is the way that we spend money that you think delivers the most happiness for you, besides food and shelter and paying for for Right. I think it changes a little bit with the ages of our kids, because Mm -hmm. travel used to be much, much more important to me as a means of feeling connected, experiencing different things, more of a stimulation as opposed to creating memories. And travel, I still feel like we're creating memories, but I'm also much happier home for longer periods of time. Well, you mean when you were single, you liked travel for experiences and adventure and stuff? Well, sure. And now that we have children, there's more than enough <laughs> stimulation at home. Well, just think also when we moved here, I think I'm just more comfortable in my own skin mm-hmm. and in our life here. So I'm not looking for other things. Now it's fun because the kids are in, you know, certain sports or doing different things that kind of ebbs our travel a bit, but it's, it's still the one thing that we look forward to. Okay. I agree. I love travel. I can't think of a trip we've taken where I've thought that was a waste of time and money. I can think of things like, oh, we should have done it differently. Right. Right. Yeah, travel's pretty amazing. And the crazy thing about it is, even though we've been wildly blessed financially, there's still ways that we'd like to travel <laughs> that <laughs> far exceed our sustainable budget. That's correct. I also appreciate the fact that we take our kids, you know, taking them to Colombia and Panama and a little off the beaten path. I think that's what makes some of it memorable. We take them to New York a lot. Nobody goes to New York anymore. Well, New York's my favorite. Right. Okay. All right. In what ways do we as a family waste money? (laughs) I know what I'm supposed to say. Let's have it. Come on. Bring it out. Let's go. (laughs) Well, okay. So this is what I've been told. What you've been told? Yes. What does that mean? I'm going to go at two ways here. I'm asking you. (laughs) Well, I tend to agree a little bit, but sometimes we have too many groceries. (laughs) Okay. We may not just in general be frugal enough about everyday purchases. I did just come back from Target. That turns me on. Yes. <laughs> um, 
And I do think we waste some money trying to figure out what we both want to do. Tell me about that. You can view that different ways because is that really wasted money? I don't know. Let's come back to that. Let's talk about groceries first. A new friend of mine was listening to the interview I did with Adam Carolla. Adam Carolla grew up poor and has made a lot of money. I grew up less poor and have made less money than Adam Carolla. But he talks about what it's like having money and raising a family in an affluent environment. He says he comes home and he sees like a $9 smoothie on the counter that's half consumed. And it drives him absolutely bananas. And I can totally relate to that. I feel like, you know, the environment where I grew up, and I'm not saying it's perfect, but like frugality was the rule of thumb. And so it really drives me bananas when I see us waste food. And then somebody who listened to this told me, you know, you sitting there worrying about a $9 smoothie is really the wrong way to think about it. Because the $4.50 worth of the smoothie that's not consumed is going to drive you bananas and make you unhappy with your marriage for whatever, five minutes. And that's worth a lot less than the actual smoothie. How do you feel about that? I love this new friend of yours. (laughs) (laughs) So we just think differently, honey. I really enjoyed that half smoothie. So why don't you finish it? Well, you'll finish it. (laughs) (laughs) You get the worst smoothies, though. But here's the thing (laughs) is that you just kind of obsess about that kind of thing. And it's partly healthy because I think revamping some of the groceries and all of that is great because I can go the other way because there's all these new like meal kits and we have a Hello Fresh order coming this week, just one week mm-hmm. today. And I really like all that. But yeah, you can really get upset about that. Why do you think I'm like that? Well, for all the reasons you just said, which makes sense and it's it's logical. But if things go outside a logical circumstance for you, you know, the kind of, I can kind of get you. How should I feel about it? You should say something, perhaps, and then you should say, I'll drink the rest of it and go on about your day. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) While we're on the topic, what is something that bothers you about the way I think about money? Can you try to get Colonel to stop chewing his paw? Most of the time, nothing, because I would much rather have... That's Colonel, yes. one of our two French bulldogs yes. sitting right next to Stacy. Yes. Uh, honestly, 85% of the time, I feel so lucky because you are so much better at all of that than I am. On- 85% of the time. Yes. Well, I think because... <laughs> That's like a B. That's like a... You know what it is, is because like doing this podcast mm-hmm. and you know, you are already obsessed about smoothies and money anyway. Mm-hmm. And this definitely exacerbated that. Doing so, the podcast as? Yes. You know, I like the different episodes and things, but when we were away this summer, mm-hmm. I mean, you obsessed. Go to dinner. Was that a really good way to spend blah, 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 blah. And it's like, <laughs> yes, I think it was great. We were with friends and family. You make it so, sound like I'm not the fun person to go on vacation with. You're very fun if you're in the right mindset. And so it's it's tricky. But it's also, thank goodness you're funny. Uh-huh. Does that answer your question? No, I want you to keep going. About what bothers me? About? Yeah, like why do you think 85% of the time, what's my mindset like? And then 15% of the time, what's my mindset like? 85% of the time, you are just really great about it. I don't have any issues at all. And I feel like we've come up with some systems that are pretty fair. I still probably get a pretty good end of the deal. And then 
the other times it's just when you are all worked up in your mind and it kind of manifests with certain things. I don't know. Do you want an example? Yeah. Okay. So an example would be cleaning out all the old towels we've had for (laughs) nine to 15 years and the kids and I are doing something good by collecting them all. We're taking them down to the shelter. Mm -hmm. And when you walked in and saw the boxes, I have to tell you what's going on because if you're surprised, it's not good. And so you walk in and you're like, what's all this? And I told you what was happening and you were like, well, why'd we buy this in the first place? And I just kind of looked at you and by what, by what, by the towels that you've had since we lived in LA, like, or some of the, they still work. Oh my gosh. All right. So I get a little bit in the weeds on home purchases. Yes. But again, it's, I think we both have kind of grown in that area. All right. So I can get in the weeds. Let's talk about when I get in a weird space in my head, because I think it's exacerbated by the fact that I haven't had an income for a long time and that I'm a struggling comedian and writer. And by the way, we're doing this interview in our beautiful house in a beautiful neighborhood. If I were a struggling comedian and writer and we were living in a two bedroom apartment, how would you feel about me chasing my dream? Like we were still living in Brea. (laughs) <laughs> Brea, California. Uh, I wouldn't know any different. Yeah. I wouldn't know any different, right? Really? I think we both want to do what we want to do. And so that can be a sacrifice to make. We are the most fortunate because of the kids' schools and like we were saying the day-to-day, mm-hmm. but we would make it work. I have no, I have no doubt about that. Mm. In fairness, I did comedy from 2005 to 2007. And I was doing, you know, all right out in California, and then we got engaged. And when we got engaged, I mean, Stacy never said You'd anything. You love to blame me. You never said anything, <laughs> but like when I got engaged, I was like, all right, I'm not prepared to be a broke comedian trying to make my way with a wife and eventually family. So that's when I was like, oh, I need to go back to work probably. And about that time, a friend of mine from where I worked at Yahoo called and said, hey, you want to join this little company called Facebook? And I was like, sure, what the hell? And so that's how I just sort of landed at Facebook. So it was never you that said, you need to go back and get a job now that we're engaged. No. But before we got married, how would you describe your relationship with money? I was terrible at it. How? I could not keep track of it. And was definitely scared of the topic. I mean, for sure. I just had this fear around money and tied down, maybe. I don't know. I did not have a good concentration about it. What do you mean you didn't have a good concentration about it? From the simple things of keeping everything in order, paying things to receipts or 401ks, any of that was just Mm -hmm. all very confusing for me, which is sad. (laughs) Well, I remember finding a shoebox full of unopened bills. Yes. Do you think that was denial? Do you think it was dyslexia? What was it that drove you to to just (laughs) avoid paying your bills? Fear? A little bit of of both. You know, the best thing that happened to me is when they came up with, you could have everything automatically taken out of your. Deducted from your paycheck. Yes. Because I would literally just kind of forget. And then it would just, (laughs) it would get in this huge issue of, oh, now you're late and this and. Yeah. The issues compound. Yes. I mean, it's not one of my shining star moments, but it is true. How would you describe your relationship to money today? Oh my gosh, much better. I will tell you that when I moved to New York from Los Angeles, that helped a lot because in those days, 
New York was a very cash oriented city still for cabs or what have you. And so, and it was god awful expensive for me and I didn't have a lot of money. And so that helped a lot. You said earlier that trying to figure out what we want to do is a factor in how we waste our money. What, what did you mean by that? Well, it can be viewed as a waste of money because here we both are in our basement and we'll spend money on our, hopefully our truths or what we want to do. And yet we're not making any. Mm-hmm. And so that can be wasting money when you're just, you're trying, but there's no guaranteed return on anything. It's not like you're going to work and you're going to get a paycheck right? for both of us. So it could be considered a waste of money and, and the money is considerable. <laughs> yes. The opportunity cost is considerable. Correct. How do you feel about me having spent the last five years really trying to figure out how to make a living as a stand-up comedian and as a writer? Honestly, fine. It's in you. I mean, I knew that when we got married. How do you think it affects the severity of the financial stress in our home? It definitely affects it. And it depends on how your career is doing for that month. <laughs> it's so true. Like idle time is not your friend. Mm -hmm. Vacation. I mean, that whole episode, I almost pulled over. You talked about being on vacation and just not mm -hmm. being able to enjoy it. And yeah. I don't have that problem. <laughs> I think the reason why I couldn't enjoy vacation was because I don't feel like I deserve it. <laughs> I think that's... You have a lot of guilt, honey. I don't know why. Because I was raised Catholic, for one. Vacation to me is always like... Like, I'm looking forward to Christmas vacation in a couple of months. It's because you have shows. Because I have three weeks in a row that I'm going to be working the Funny Bones. And when I come back from those shows, I'm going to feel like I did a good month's work. And even on that vacation in Colorado this summer when I was a miserable tool some of the days... When I just said, you know what, if I don't work for three hours in the morning and get something done, and I was working on some chapters in the book that's going to come out next year, that you're all very excited about, <laughs> I felt much, much better about the day. But if that's what it took for me to enjoy the other 21 hours of the day on vacation, I just felt better doing it. And I think that's great. You know, you asked me about meditation mm -hmm. one time, and I think that the meditation and you being aware of how your psyche is working mm -hmm. and what's going to make you more present and happier is a good thing. And yeah. when you said, I'm going to work three hours in the morning, all of us were like, great. <laughs> good. Just that'll keep you away from us for one thing. What's your biggest financial fear? Well, here's the best thing about being married to Paul Ollinger's. Mm. I don't really have one. You have them all. <laughs> I, I, I worry for both of us. Yes. I feel this is also kind of a, a prickly subject, but I am very much wanting my new endeavor to work out well. Mm -hmm. I have a lot of concerns about that because it concerns you very much. Mm -hmm. Well, let's talk about that. What's your new endeavor? A fashion accessory. Fashion accessory. One of my very best friends. All right. And what can you tell us about it? It will change your life. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. It comes from a good place. We are launching a company mm -hmm. and we have a provisional patent on a product and we're working with people to help us bring this to market. And, and so... Here's the situation. So, so the I <laughs> how do I say this, ladies and gentlemen, in a way that doesn't make me sound like a jerk? So I was prepared for Stacy not working forever. I wasn't prepared to invest tens, potentially hundreds of thousands of dollars in an idea that 
is completely unproven. And there's already somebody in this house that's working on something <laughs> that doesn't produce any income. In fact, loses money. Well, I call it reverse monetization. But we're yeah. happy. Does that not? Well, yes, sweetie, we're happy, but we're not going to be happy when the recession hits and all of a sudden we've got to spend a half of what we're spending now because the market plummets and a discretionary investment of fifty or $100,000 becomes a giant, giant deal. Well, I also think it came at a time after some angel investing that didn't no, it's a few things didn't work out. Overall, our investments have performed extraordinarily well, but a couple of things didn't work out. And that is the nature of angel investing. Right. The expected value of an angel investment is zero dollars. And those investments have affected the quality of the friendship with the people I've invested in. Correct. And I don't like that. That weighs on me. Yes. I have fewer friends than I would like. And I don't want my friendships that I do have to be poisoned by by this. It's just a residue. It's not, I don't like having this weird aftertaste of, oh, we had a like, it's like, it's like having had a relationship with somebody. Well, I and think you look at them and go like, yeah, we're, uh, if we did that thing that one time, it didn't work out. Uh. <laughs> well, I appreciate actually the concern you have. It's just in the innovation stage and things, it's hard to bring you in, but make no mistake, you'll have. I mean, we would count on you to become involved should it be something to become involved with. So you'll have a, you'll be closer to it. Well, that, that might be the case, but what if I say you need to shut it down because it's not going to work? And I mean, that, it, here's where we're going to get it to the, this raises the, the whole question of this episode of this podcast is talking about money is really, really hard. In a relationship, when you're talking about money, you're not just talking about money. You're talking about the quality of your relationship, the trust you have in each other, different value systems, where the money came from, all these different things. And it's not us. It's not just us. It's no. every couple. It's, it's some. It's I feel like it's it's me or you or someone saying, "Hey, listen to the one person that matters the most, right? Mm -hmm. hey, this is really important to me, and I want to put resources towards it." And when the other person says, no, I don't think so, or maybe halfway, and you are really gung-ho about it, it's hard not to get in some sort of power struggle. Well, that's right. And I think that regardless of what I believe you believe to me to be controlling when I'm at my worst. When you're at your worst, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> not kind of, for sure. Well, I think, you know, to be completely fair to you, we just talked about my past and my track record when we, you know, got married would give you pause. Yeah. And I mean, it's not even that when it comes to investing in a new business, which by the way, I hope goes swimmingly and it's a giant success. I'm not, like, oh, I know I'm that. not wishing that it doesn't work out. I'm just, I just look at the numbers and the percentage chances of it succeeding and they're not good. And so it worries me and I'm less concerned about your personal track record on that level and I'm just sort of looking at it going like, you know, it's just the likelihood of it working out is is low. Well, I like that too, because it's really good to have something to push against. <laughs> I, know, I know you're motivated and it looks great. And I'm excited that you've got something you're really excited about. And but I it want was, to succeed. If we're having this conversation yeah. too, you know, as a marriage or relationship mm -hmm. with your partner, you know, yes, we got married a little bit older in terms of having the kids. And then everything just happened super fast. And then we moved to Atlanta. 
And as the kids got older, I realized that I wanted to do something. And I'm thrilled to be on the board of Europe and all the things I've done Mm -hmm. in the community. But if I look back on my last nine years here, I have been searching for something to do. Mm -hmm. I've put on events or tried to do this or spent a hot second at my friend's company or Mm -hmm. things like that. So this is something that seems so natural to me to be doing. Mm -hmm. You will get free advertising on Crazy Money when the product launches. Awesome. Just want to let you know. Mostly free. (laughs) Sorry. Okay. Dr. Sonia Britt, an assistant professor of family studies and human services and program director of the personal financial planning uh, something at Kansas State University says this, couples often use harsher language with each other during money arguments, which also tend to last longer. Do you believe that's true? Yes. First of all, I can't even believe my husband has a podcast about money and we talk about it all the time mm. in this household, which I don't like to talk about it. You can't believe I have the podcast because we don't talk about it enough in the household? Is that no, we saying? talk about it a lot. But in when general... We talk, when you say we talk about it, what does that mean? How do money conversations come up in our house? I just get pissed off at something you've just no, brought in. No, not you just liked my new rug. I did, which came from where? Target. Scott, it's just I, for th- so, I'm so hot. <laughs> I am so turned on right now. That is the best thing I've ever heard. Because a dog's going to piss on it within Sweetheart. within 48 hours. They are, and I'm not going to get so mad about it. But if we had bought a new custom rug for that room that cost 10 grand, I'd have been... I'd, That's a different room I'm thinking about. I'd lose my mind. I would lose my mind. So first of all, I mean, nobody really likes to talk about money, correct? Mm-hmm. And certainly, it's not my favorite thing, to, honestly, that you're talking about us as a family... And what we have and don't have, first of all, can sit uncomfortable. But this I'm, conversation or the whole podcast, the whole, the whole thing. If people don't really know that you're talking about meaning in life and happiness, and mm-hmm. and I, I and I'm saying, oh, my husband has this podcast. It's called Crazy Money, and people just look at me. <laughs> so <laughs> it's in every screw them. <laughs> It's in everywhere I go, right? right? Well, in our world. and Have they listened to it? A lot of them, and they love it. Okay, but so their first reaction is I'm bragging about having yes. had some financial success, which, by the way, they might. these people might have 10 times I was going to say, have. and most of these people have like, you know, empires or something. It's just, right. it's, it's just different. So anyhow... Um, <laughs> he doesn't deserve to have a show about that. <laughs> but also, you know, in the fun conversations about money, it's like, who are you going to have on your podcast? Mm-hmm. Everything we're learning, like the hygge. We got that out of you doing the mm-hmm. podcast. And now I can have the air conditioning on and I can have a no, fire. No, 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 no. Well, I can have, have the door fi- open. I can have the we door can, open. We can have a lot of fires when it's cold outside. That doesn't no. mean we mm-hmm. crank up the AC. Well, no, I just oh, like the door God. open and the fire. I think it's perfect all right keep going keep going and then on the worst side of it is like we mentioned in the summer where you get an idea and we have to change the whole dynamic of the family for a few weeks to see if you know something's gonna work what are you talking about like you've talked to some really amazing people i think we've tried to implement certain like giving saving strategies and things like that but i think sometimes it gets in your head that the kids have too much, do too much mm-hmm. without you realizing they don't know any different and they're responsible, good kids. And we also are making sure that they understand. So you don't like my podcast. I love your podcast. <laughs> I just don't like when I have to explain what it is to other people. Okay. But I'm hearing something else. You're saying that sometimes I'll have a guest on that I'll get obsessed about 
what we talked about most recently, which would be the recency bias. What is that called? Heuristic, the recency heuristic. Yes. In which case did I do that? Was it Ron Lieber? Ron Lieber. Oh, the opposite Ron of Lieber. spoiled? Yeah, yeah. But such a good book. That's such a good book. Yeah. So, all right. So and then we have my sister-in-law's wealth she's a manager. financial planner, wealth manager. Yes. yes. And she's amazing. Mm-hmm. And you love when she comes to town mm-hmm. and she was just here and she always has good advice that somehow we'll need to implement. <laughs> she hadn't read my book. It's been out for three years. <laughs> Thanks, Alexandra. <laughs> all right. What's something we don't have that you would like to have? There's no way not to sound <laughs> <laughs> totally, you know, like I, it's, it's, well, let me, we I, have every, you know, it's just, let me, let me put it this way. When we got married and let, hang on a second, I've actually written it down here somewhere. If on our wedding day, you knew we would have what we have now, how would you have predicted it would make you feel? Oh, that's a great question. Thank you, honey. Yes. I would have predicted that we would be absolutely on top of the world and have no stress about money. Right. So by almost any measure, we're we're rich today by almost any measure. And it's, I'm well, not, I hate when you say I, that. But I'm not talking it's, about like, it, I'm saying, first of all, anybody listening to this podcast is probably rich too by global standards. And it's just weird that you can have more than... This is why we have all these solicitors. That's a zip code thing. You can have more than 98% of the rest of the world, and all you can see is that person who has more than you, right? right. And maybe we are in the, you know, we have more than 99% of the world. I don't think we obsess about this, but I think it's natural to say, you know, well, it's not only natural, it's proven out in research time and time again that people think that rich is twice what they have, that we become so incredibly habituated or used to what we have like you said Mm. before we got married you would thought that if you knew what we have what we have you'd think we'd be partying right now (laughs) instead we're in our basement having a conversation (laughs) so i guess the question is is are you surprised to learn that we still have money stresses even though we're wildly blessed i don't have a simple yes or no you're asking me about when we got married mm-hmm. and we've been together, what, almost 15 years married a lot. Married 12 this week. That's right. A dozen. Congratulations. Right. This, on, is, this is your anniversary this is like episode. Fear factor <laughs> for marriage. We hope we make it to Sunday. Hey, folks. I'm joking, honey. So anyhow, but we were younger and starting out and had different ideas about life relationships, mm-hmm. what matters. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So then for our trajectory and then having, you know, doing our jobs and having kids and I mean, it changed what was really important. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I'm not surprised. I thought that then, and I'm not surprised that doesn't matter to me as much now because we have a great, we have chosen paths that are not traditional but yet you're, we are sitting in our basement and you're doing a podcast you like to do. You're mm-hmm. trying to do your comedy. I get to be with the kids. I get to try entrepreneurial things and that's good. Now, little material things. Mm-hmm. Sure. There's those things that like you're saying would be awesome, but it's not like I sit every day and I'm like, gosh, I wish so-and-so. And the other thing is, is that I feel like we're a good match. I hope so after all this time. Mm-hmm. And I don't have that. I, I don't know if you have it sometimes, but I don't, I have friends in all different tiers, you know, financially or whatever you want to say, 
or big personalities, unpersonalities, but I don't ever want to be in their situation. I love them. They're my friends. Right. But everybody's on their own kind of their own journey. Their own journey. So I don't I I, have, I don't have that lustfulness for other for I don't like No, that. I don't look at other people who have 10 times what we have and think I wish I I feel had. like they're stressed. Of course. Of course, everybody's stressed. Everybody's stressed for totally different reasons, however. I really don't look at people who have 10 times more than than we have and think I wish I had what they have. I don't look at comedians who are 10 times as successful as me and think I wish I were them. All I think is I want the opportunity to be as good as I can be at this thing. And right. doing comedy is maybe the hard it's one of the hardest things I think anybody could choose to do or be a musician or be a chef or an entrepreneur, like all these things that don't have roadmaps. Right. And it introduces an amount of uncertainty into your life, which can't be fun to be around. Joe Mattery said that as well. He's like, you know, his wife said to him, you know, you're unhappy all the time. Well, you are not unhappy all the time. I want to clarify that. Like, mm-hmm. you're super fun. And neither is Joe, by the way. He's right. a really good guy and a great dad and a good husband. But that is also because we are alleviated some of that stress because we're in the you know the shape financially we are which is great if we had more when you and i sit down and we try to do some of these budgeting things Mm -hmm. and i mean this very sincerely so i hope it comes off that way but Mm -hmm. like there's certain material things that we like right but i don't think we aspire to them however i will say that certain things we've had to cut especially i think the community is really important Mm -hmm. that part is you know some of the philanthropic things that we do would be really great to have more money so we could feel like we're making that kind of change because we could maybe have more influence influence over what how some of this stuff is done or more um, impact you mean? impact but yeah. but also the day-to-day decisions yeah i agree i i agree that philanthropy is a and is a really meaningful be... way to spend money Right. But I mean, it's it's also sort of one of those trade offs. I mean, if I was working and making a million bucks a year, or even a half million bucks a year, we could be giving away a whole hell of a lot more money. Right. That's and but the reason why we've had to, and and by the way, and we're we're not cheap with philanthropic stuff. It's just that we were looking at everything we spend on recently and had to say, okay, what are we going to do over a lifetime, and what's sustainable? And we're burning a little hot in all areas, including philanthropy. Mm-hmm. We're still going to give very, I think, very generously. It's just we're not going to be able to keep up what we've been doing the last couple of years for now unless something changes, right? There needs to be more money that arrives until we take on any bigger multi-year commitments. Right. Everything's a trade-off, you know? I mean, no, like we could give s- more to philanthropy if our kids went to public school. Sweetie, I know all of that. But the question was, what would you do if you had... More, more money. What would you right? So that that philanthropy sounds. <laughs> of I know. all the things you could have answered, that was a good answer. Just go back to whatever question I asked about. <laughs> where was it? If we had a little bit more money, what would you spend that money on? Well, def- a little bit more, like enough for another trip. <laughs> <laughs> I would spend the money on probably doing some really cool, engaging, impactful events for year up. For year up. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's our number one nonprofit in the house, right? Yes. All right. Good answer, honey. It's true. Don't you think that way? All right. 
let me ask the question a different way. Okay. I give you $25,000 and you have to spend it on something that's materialistic or luxurious. What is it? How would you spend <laughs> that money? You're raising your eyebrows to me like. <laughs> what, would, what, would, what would you spend that money on? It has to be an item. Well, it has to be an item or an experience that is luxurious. Discretionary at the very least. Ooh, I'd have to do some research. Oh, come on. You I know. Another do- another Frenchie? Oh, for Christ's sake. <laughs> no. Um, I would be doing some things in the house. Okay. What would you be doing? Well, I have a proposal for you. <laughs> All right. Let's talk about budgeting because we've done some budgeting discussions in the past few months. How does it feel to have those budgeting conversations? Well, the conversations can suck, quite honestly, mm-hmm. but it makes the rest of the days a lot easier. In what way? Because there's parameters set to everything, and I think it's a little bit more transparent for us. So if I'm hearing you, you're saying the process of having the conversations is a drag, but we actually benefit from having those conversations. Yes. So you just feel like we're on the same page more after those conversations? Yes, for the large percentage of the time and even mm-hmm. if we're not on the same page that we still know about it nothing's like a r- real surprise do you feel like we do a good job of compromising yes that, that sounded like a question depends on the topic right it's hard i would think a lot of people would have this issue but you know if it's something that that you say this is where we need to spend our resources well then i'm more apt to be like sure fine but if you think that it's something that we like a new rug or whatever it is. We've been in this house nine years or we're changing some things. If you think that it's not important and I do, then there's an issue. <laughs> so we don't compromise. Well, just like I said, it depends on the topic. I think on the big stuff, we are in line. Mm. The minutia is where we can get off track. So a year ago, we were we just had one credit card and whatever you spent came through and I would send you notes like, what's this, what's this, what's this? And then we agreed to a number that I would just, that, and it would be mostly about your personal stuff, right? It would be, she's Mike, she's looking at me like she doesn't want to have this conversation. I'm trying to say, does does having just a certain amount that I don't even look at yes. from your spending help you? Yes, don't you think it helps you too? Absolutely. I think it was one of I'm the- not, I'm not seeking out conflict in our relationship. No, I know you're not. And I think that that was one of the Get best on solutions, mic, one of the best solutions you had because it takes away that like father-daughter, I don't know how you want to- <laughs> The weird father-daughter dynamic that, weird, that we yeah, had. Yeah. It it's ta- not as hot as people think it might be. <laughs> it's, to- it's so not hot when it comes to looking over each other's shoulder. Right. Exactly. Okay. Do we stress more about money now than we did early in our marriage? I feel like you do, yes. I do. Mm-hmm. Okay. Do you wonder if we'd be better off if I had a full-time job? For many years, yes. Only because you were so upset about not making what you made. I mean, it consumed... Was I? Yes. I don't remember that. Come on. You went back to work a couple times. Well, that's because I didn't know what to do with myself. Well, that, I mean, all of it just was this big snowball of unhappiness for you mm. for a while. And I definitely think... After you, I left Facebook, you mean? Yes. Mm-hmm. And I think 
you still definitely stress about it. You know, it's different when you're, and we were still in a good spot, mm-hmm. but when you're walking out the door knowing that X amount's coming in, it's, uh, and, and you have control over how to get it, right? Mm-hmm. I'm going to make this quota. I'm going to do this, you know, and the money you know is coming in versus now you are, like you said, struggling to make sure that you still feel valid that way. I'll interpret some of this and you, what you can tell me if I'm, if okay. I'm, if I'm wrong, I'm, I don't necessarily agree with what you're saying. <laughs> not, not, I mean, not all of it, but what I, I think when you leave your job, what I experienced was I just wanted to not work for a while and I didn't know what I was going to do. But when you leave your job, you think you're just leaving a paycheck, but what you're leaving is a community and your identity. And when you lose that, it's highly disconcerting. And then, you know, I went back to work looking for that because I didn't know what else to do with myself. And that was after like a year and a half of being self-employed, unemployed, let's say. And then I went back looking for that. And while you get it, I also realized that I wanted to do something different. I just didn't have the guts to say that I wanted to do stand-up comedy, that I wanted to be a writer, that these were things I wanted to do. And so after a year of doing that job, I quit and I started writing every day and getting back into the clubs. And that was five years ago last month. And so that's what I've been doing. But it stressed you out financially. And it stresses you out more now. Well, I think that, yes, in the sense that what's what's hard about comedy is like, Look, there's people that have been doing it for 40 years that can't make a living doing stand-up comedy, and they, they are great, but they're mostly forgotten. And so it's a highly unforgiving craft in that way, and it's also brutal on the front end. It's pretty much brutal for everybody except for mm, 43 people. But I know sort of in the abstract what I'm trying to do, and I'm busy, and I'm working, and I'm moving forward, and I'm making I'm making progress. But yeah, it's pretty stressful when... Even if you've got a decent, very decent amount of money, it's very stressful when all the money is headed in only one direction. So on that note, for me as a wife, mm-hmm. married to you, mm-hmm. it can be all-consuming, your path, right? Mm-hmm. It can be an unbalanced situation. So it's also works for us because your travel and so, I mean, I'm fairly independent. And so... I'm not a wife who's like, when are you coming home or what's this? Well, I'm not gone that much. I well, you can't gone like think month. of December. I mean, you're gone. That's a l- for what? Okay. So, sorry, go ahead. So I'm saying this is a positive thing, mm-hmm. but your natural personality too is kind of all consuming, mm-hmm. right? I have to have something of my own that I'm working on mm-hmm. that I feel is for me. And so that takes resources too. What do you want our children to know about money? I want them to know how to make it <laughs> and <laughs> support themselves. Okay. I want them to think it's fluid, which is probably not what you think. But I don't want them to be all, all consumed with it. I don't think this generation thinks that hopefully that money is the end all be all. I want them to know how to make it how to make it work for them and that it's it's not what's going to make you ultimately really really happy can't buy your way into healthy relationships and friends and i also don't want them you know in our guest bedroom until they're 40 so right i want them to be 
community minded. I want them to think of themselves, not just themselves, that you're one of the many people in the world and that it's not a choice. I feel like it's a responsibility that they would have if they're somewhat successful, however they give it back. I feel like that's really important. And I hope we're teaching that. How do you think we're doing a good job and how could we do better along those lines? We can always do better, but they're also at a young age, so I can't take them to a lot of places. It's like a minimum age of 12 to volunteer Mm -hmm. a lot of places. But we've done, you know, like Nicholas House Shelter. I've taken them down to Europe and we've they've seen the classrooms. They've talked to some kids. They've also done the last year's Thanksgiving, which we will be doing this year. Mm It's not on my calendar recently. I actually took Izzy Van. I don't know if you know this, but I actually took Izzy Van to a board meeting with me once. And she found it interesting for a while. I mean, just exposure, you know, at the children's hospital, making those things a part of our of our life. What do you think they think when they observe how we live our lives? Like what we do for for work and how we spend our days? Elvis said something a year ago or so. He thinks you kind of work, right? What was that? <laughs> I was like, it was in the car. He's like, you know, dad kind of works. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> and I definitely don't do anything, um, which is not positive. But that's when they were younger. And I feel like try to show them, you know, the podcast has helped because it's something that he can. I mean, he's been on it. Right. I don't think they get it. It's something to point to. This is what my dad does. (laughs) Yeah. I don't think they get it. I think what they think about money is, I I don't know. What do you think? I think our kids are very different. Our son is very much like me and he's very interested in stuff. I mean, like I was as a kid, he wants stuff and he wants, you know, his way and he wants the world to conform to him. He's also super motivated. Yeah, and he's bright. And our daughter is very other-centric, not super social, but very empathetic, very... She's um, an old soul. Very unselfish. She's the sweetest thing on the planet. So it's just odd. You know, like, as I asked her about the tooth fairy not long ago, I said, oh, did the tooth fairy come? Yes. How much did he leave? I don't know. I didn't count it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> What? All right, before we wrap up, is there anything else we should talk about? Are there other questions you want me to ask? I'll ask you. All right, you can ask me a question. Honey. Yes. What would you do with $25,000 extra? What would I do with $25,000 extra? I think I would buy new towels. I already bought them. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Let's end on that. Happy anniversary. I love you. (laughs) All right. Well, you made it. I made it. We made it. That was actually kind of fun to do. And here's the thing about talking about money. I kind of feel like I dread it and I hate it when we do it. But like we talked about in that budging conversation, generally when it's over, I feel better about it. I feel I'm glad that we've had the conversation. At least we understand each other better. And if you can do it as rationally and non-emotionally as possible, and with the long term in mind, maybe it'll smooth out the next conversation. I don't know. I don't know. 
if you think your spouse would find that interesting, share it with them. <laughs> share it with the world. We appreciate your uh, endorsement on social media. If you have a minute, please subscribe to this podcast. Please write a review and give me a few stars if you wouldn't mind. That'd be really helpful. And remember, if you've got an event coming up into which you would like to inject some levity, shoot me a note, paul at crazymoneypodcast.com. Have a wonderful day, and thank you to Mike Carano for forcing me into this weird, vulnerable place this week. Goodbye.